And here's one of the rules that happen in school. You don't speak out. You raise your hand, right? Is that right? Because otherwise you end up with chaos. And I know that all of you eager, teacher-pleasing kind of people want to show that you know everything and you're going to speak out. But don't. Raise your hand, all right? So I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to raise your hand if you know the answer, if you researched, all right? Here we go. Ready? Who in the Bible first said, did God really say? Let's see your hand. Who in the Bible first said, did God really say? Oh, my word. Yes, the answer is. Okay, good, good. Second question. Yes. <laughs> I said good. If it wasn't good, I would have said, eh. Second question, again, hands raised. Where in the Bible does that occur? I'm talking about book and chapter. Not as many hands. Yes. Genesis 3.1. Very good. It was the devil represented as a serpent who first came to Eve. And by the way, I realized that this, this week, for the first time, maybe you guys already did, the way in which the Bible flows, in chapter 2, God gives instructions to Adam about the trees of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and he says, of all the other trees you can eat, but not of that tree. In chapter 3, the devil comes to Eve and says, did God really say, which would seem to imply that the devil was around when God gave the instructions to Adam. Because Eve didn't tell him that. He just came up with that on his own. So, here is my point very simply. We need to be sure about what God really said. We need to be confident that we know God's Word. And one of the things I've discovered over the years, however, is that a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, don't really know God's Word well. They don't know the Word of God, the Bible, very well. And the way that is often evidenced is they make statements, they give quotes, and they attribute them to the Bible and to God, but neither the Bible nor God ever really said it at all. Can you think of quotes that people give that aren't in the Bible, but they think they are? Yes, what? God helps those who help themselves. Is there some truth in that? Maybe. But it's not in the Bible. What else? I'm sorry, what? I can't hear you. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Probably a good idea, but it's not in the Bible. Um, here's one of the ones that was said just recently. God says you can accomplish anything you put your mind to. Might be a wonderful thing that parents say to kids, but it's just not true. Uh, you've already said cleanliness is next to godliness. How about this one? Money is the root of all evil. Is that in the Bible? The Bible verse in Timothy says, actually, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And we misquote it, and it changes things dramatically. One very similar to that is, and the truth will set you free. Is that in the Bible? No, not like that it isn't. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The word make implies process, not incidents. So you need to know your Bible. How about this? Spare the rod and spoil the child. How many of you have ever quoted it as if it were? It's not in the Bible. Do you know that that actual statement comes from a poem? It's not in the Bible anywhere. Or how about this? The lion will lay down with the lamb. Is that in the Bible anywhere somewhere? Isn't it? I'm sorry, it's not. Here's what the Bible says. Isaiah 11:6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Nowhere does it say, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. But we quote it as if it does. Or how about this one? And this too shall pass. Not in the Bible. It will often say, and it came to pass, and I think that's a good promise for us that most things we deal with will come to pass. However, some of our quotations. Here's my favorite. This is one I heard this week off of the show, Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay, that's where you get your theology in life. All right? Ray Barone, trying to prove something to his wife Deborah, said this The Bible says, no, and then he emphasizes, Jesus says, blessed are the nice. So we have quotes that aren't in the Bible at all, or some that are similar to verses in the Bible, but they change it just a little bit. But here's the danger. When you start quoting things as if they are the Bible, or you start changing verses in the Bible, you can end up, if you extrapolate it far enough out, if you come to a logical end, you can get pretty far off. Even though you only start off a little bit, if you follow that long enough, you can end up way off. Here's what we need to do. We need to establish from the beginning that the Bible, that God's Word is our gold standard. So, what I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks is I'm going to talk about just three or maybe four kinds of statements that are made and attributed to God and to the Bible that actually develop into a whole belief structure that affects then how people live their lives. Um, and what I want you to see is that those statements, which are very popular, you will recognize all of them, those statements which have become almost a person's lifestyle is not equal to the life that is intended by God in his kingdom. So that's kind of where I'm going to go over just the next couple of weeks. Um, the first one I want to talk to you about today is, I believe, probably the most popular belief in Western Christianity, okay, in our country primarily, but also that would include Europe, um, and it's this, God wants you to be happy. 
God wants you to be happy. God's top priority is your happiness. Uh, God wants you to enjoy your life. God never wants anything hard or challenging. God doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. And when it does, it's your responsibility to pray against it. That's a whole theology. And when I say theology, by the way, theology, the word theology just means the study of God. But it means how you believe God thinks, acts, behaves. And so when you have this kind of theology, you can end up going down a road that is not a road in the kingdom. Now, the theologies of happiness, if, if uh, Elizabeth, if you could wait until I actually say them to put them up, that would help. <laughs> Thanks. I want to talk to you this morning about a theology of happiness that I think can actually get you in trouble. It can actually lead you astray from true Christianity. So I want to give you three statements about a theology of happiness, which is where I think most people go. So number one, you can put that up now, Elizabeth. You believe that if God wants you happy, then whatever makes you happy must be right, and whatever makes you unhappy must be wrong or bad. Now, I want you to think about these a little bit this morning. If you have a theology that God wants you to be happy, what that means is anything that makes you unhappy isn't God. It's not right. It's wrong. It's bad. It's something to fight against. Because you know that God's paramount, God's utmost priority is you being happy. Number two, you start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, obstacles can't possibly be God's will. In other words, if, if something hard happens to you, if you got up this morning and you had a fight with your spouse, you know that she's wrong, because she's always wrong, because the guy's always right. She's wrong, it's bad, and you begin to pray against that spirit. Especially, I find that spirit-filled Pentecostal Christians are often rebuking things, and I'm reminded often of something that, um, I think it was Bob Mumford said years ago, he said he was battling something in his own spirit, something was going on that he knew was wrong, he is praying against it, praying against it, praying against it, and finally he was quiet for a while, and he said, God, you're not saying anything. He says, it's because you're too busy casting me out. Ultimately, sometimes, if you have this as your theology, you will end up fighting against God himself. Number three, without consciously realizing that you begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Now, here is the crux of the whole matter. When we believe that above all else, God is all about our happiness, suddenly we're forced to believe that God exists to serve us. We have to understand this, though. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. Is that right? It's not about God, this is what I want. You need to give me what I want. This is about God. What is your will? What is it that you want? If we believe that God is there to make us happy, then we reduce the creator and sustainer of the universe down to a cosmic Coke machine where I put in my coins 
which is my contract with God. God, I've done my part. I've put in the coins. I should get back what I want. And when it doesn't happen, here's what happens. We say, God, you've reneged on the contract. You've fallen down, God. You've failed me. And here's the problem. People get mad at God for this. People will leave the faith over this kind of thing. They will say things like this, God, I said my prayers. I went to church. I tried to do good things. I tried not to do bad things. I gave money in the offering. I helped an old lady cross the road. I didn't run over my neighbor's cat when I had every opportunity to do it, and I wanted to, but I didn't do it. Um, I believe, God, that I've done my part. I put in my coins. Therefore, why are you allowing all this stress in my life? Why don't you give me what I want? And you get mad at God, and you actually quit. You say, I, I tried the church thing. I tried that God thing for a while. I mean, I, 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 even, I even went to life group, and it didn't work for me. What, what do you mean it didn't work for you? What you mean is, I put in my coins, and I didn't get back my product. I gave my money. I treated my stuff that I was doing like it was a contract with God. And when God didn't do his part, I just said, then forget it. I'm out of here. Um, now that I've kind of depressed you um, and told you that God doesn't really care all that much about your happiness, um, let me just say that I believe God does. Take joy in your happiness. I think God, like any parent, loves to see his kids happy. I, I, I honestly believe that. I rejoice when my kids are happy, when they're having a good life, when things are going well. I like that. Don't you like that when your kids are doing well? I think God likes that. Here's my point, though. As much as I want my kids to be happy and I want everything to go smoothly, I don't like the fact that right now... Um, Jennifer and Pete and Caleb and Gabby are sick. I don't like the fact that Gabby has tubes in her. I don't like any of that stuff. But their happiness is not my highest priority for them. My highest priority for them is that they would love God with all their heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. That's my highest priority. And if they get that down, then all the rest of their life will take care of itself. If they will love God no matter what, if they will encounter the living God, then that will resolve all the rest of the stuff of their life. I believe God enjoys it when we have joy in our lives, but it's not about us being happy. My highest priority for my kids is not that they be happy solely. And I don't believe it's God's highest priority. But this is why I would argue that the that God does not want us to pursue happiness. God wants us to pursue Him. And if you get God, you get everything. Pursue God no matter what. We don't even pursue God for happiness, as if happiness is the byproduct of pursuing God. We pursue God for God, just because He's God. We pursue Him. We run after Him. Now, what I want to do very briefly this morning is I want to give you two um, reasons that God 
doesn't make your happiness his highest priority. Two reasons for why God doesn't make your happiness his highest priority. Number one, God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something stupid, sinful, wrong, or unwise. Period. That's it. Um, I have three children. Um, you guys all know my kiddos. Um, when they were little, they would be certain to know what would bring them the greatest happiness and what would be the best for him. Um, I can remember on one occasion, Karen and I had done Christmas shopping, as do most of you. And we had limited space in our house at the time. So we hid all of their Christmas gifts in our closet. We didn't have a whole lot of other places to hide it. So we hid it in our closet. And one day, uh, Jeremy and John were giggling. And we thought, well, what's going on? And so we're talking to them, and they said, we saw some of our presents. Now, in order to see the presents, they had to go into our bedroom, into our closet, and move things out of the way. Because we didn't just put them in the closet. We kid them. So they said, we went into the closet, and we saw two games that you got us for Christmas. We saw Hungry Hungry Hippo and Rock'em Sock'em Robots. How many of you guys remember those? And they were certain those things were going to make them so happy. They were giddy with joy. Come Christmas morning, and they're opening all their presents, all of a sudden, I think it was probably Jeremy, because he's the one who tends to remember things. Uh, Jeremy said, wait a minute. Where's Hungry Hungry Hippo and Rock'em Sock'em Robots? We said, well, because you went ahead of time and looked when you shouldn't have looked. You were told not to go into our bedroom. You were told not to go into our closet. We took the games back to the store. And they were so upset because they were sure those games were going to give them lasting happiness. But we knew it wasn't best for them because it would teach them that you could do wrong, get away with it, and you still get all your dessert too. Here's my point. Sometimes our kids want things that aren't the best for them. They're sure it's going to make them happy, but we know it's dangerous for them. Whether it be stuff or events. There are many times over the years that our kids wanted to go do things with other kids in the community, and we'd say, no, no, it's not going to happen. Because we knew it wasn't the wisest thing for them. Here's my point. We're adults, and we think we know the best thing for us. But what if God, who is older than us, knows better than us? Is that possible? That God might actually withhold something from you because he knows it's not good for you? even though you're positive it's the best thing in the whole world? Um, I've sat with people who have chosen divorce because after all, and this is their statement, God wouldn't want me to stay in an unhappy marriage. Um, so many couples today divorce saying, we're just not happy together anymore. So instead of believing God in his word and instead of fighting for what God has given them in covenant, they quit because it just doesn't make them happy anymore. And please hear me. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty who's here who is divorced. But I am saying to you, 
most people that I know of who are believers who are divorced would say it was one of the most painful things they've ever had to deal with. It doesn't work the best unless we do it God's way. So my statement is, so many of them would say, well, my, I believe the highest priority at this moment in time is my happiness. And God would say, no, your highest priority needs to be my glory, not your happiness. On your wedding day, you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and in sickness and in health, till death do you part. That's what you covenanted before God. I think that's worth fighting for, that we be people who keep our word. Um, no sermon, by the way, can deal with every eventuality. I recognize it's possible that you're here today and you were in a, an abusive relationship and uh, you divorced for safety's sake. I understand that. I am in no way dealing with those kinds of issues. I'm talking about a principle that people make where they make their happiness their highest priority instead of the glory of God and what God has said. Um, I've had people say to me just recently, but pastor, my spouse isn't meeting my needs. Can I tell you the truth? Karen doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't. She regularly falls way short. Way short. I'm taking her out. <laughs> but here's my point. It's not her job to meet all my needs. It was never her job to meet all my needs. Some of my needs shouldn't be met because they're not real needs, they're wants. There are things that I think would make me happy, but God says, no, that's not good for you. He says, so I've given you a wife who's not going to give you just what you want because you want and you moan and groan and cry and complain and yell. But my wife doesn't meet all my needs. I've got needs, you know, so I'll look elsewhere. Because, after all, my happiness is paramount. I want what's going to make me happy. And he or she isn't making me happy anymore. When we wrongly believe, and this is what I said to you at the beginning, when we wrongly believe these kinds of theologies, like God wants me to be happy, it can lead us to empower wrong beliefs and wrong behaviors. And that's a danger for all of us. The list could go on and on. Um, you know, you decide that you want to eat that cake. I didn't say that piece of cake. I said that cake. <laughs> you know, one piece. Have you noticed that one piece tastes really, really good? And you're sure that another piece will taste even better? And then another, and another, until when you finally get done with that cake, what, isn't it true that most often you think, oh, I feel so sick to my stomach. I should never have eaten the whole cake. I know because I did it two Sundays ago at the picnic. I ate a piece of cake and I thought, oh, this is so good. I don't get cake a lot. I love cake. Cake's like my nemesis in life or either that or it's my nirvana, one or the other. 
And I love cake, and I love white cake. I love white frosting. I love it all. So I had a piece, but I had a small piece. So there was another piece that was on the board that was kind of crumbling over. It was like, you know, just falling down. So that, I think falling down cake doesn't count as calories. <laughs> Bottom line. So I was standing there. I, was just, I wasn't going to eat it. I was just looking at it. I was drooling. And somebody came by and said, you really ought to eat that, Pastor. It's, it's no good anymore. Nobody wants a falling down piece of cake. I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was me. Um, <laughs> so I ate that. But that one, was, that one was as small as my first cake. So I thought those two kind of make like one whole one. And then I stood there long enough, and I realized, you know, this cake is just sitting here going to waste. And it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. I was sure it was going to make me happy. The scripture says that the pleasures of sin are enjoyable for a season. I'm not saying eating my cake was sin. I'm not saying that. Yes. That's very likely true, Tom. Or how about this? You pray, and you finally get this job that you love that's going to be everything you ever wanted. A couple months go by, and you find it's not as good as you thought it was. You, you come to hate the job. You hate your boss. You hate going there every single day. You hate the commute. You hate it all. You say, that's it. I'm just not happy here anymore. I'm done. Even though you've got a wife and kids to provide for, you know the thing that's going to make you the happiest is if you're gone from that place. So what do you do? You forget your wife. You forget your kids. You forget your responsibilities. You forget your bills that you've agreed to pay. And you go and you say to your boss, you can take this job and... I didn't say that. People justify doing stupid things just because it's all about their happiness. The list could go on and on. People get into massive debt because no good thing will God withhold. Right? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? And they know that that new 52-inch TV is finally going to make them happy. Or that new car, or that new dress, new clothes. God doesn't want you unhappy after all. Here's my point. I just saw this quoted yesterday on Facebook, and I, I love this quote. God will sometimes wreck your plans before your plans can wreck you. Isn't that good? God will sometimes wreck your plans before your plans can wreck you. The scripture says man makes his plans. Man has a way that he thinks he's going to go. But the ends are death and destruction. And God is faithful to not let us destroy ourselves, to not do stupid things. And when we do, we can't be blaming God. We can't say, oh, well, you know, God, I don't have any money now. Well, you're the one who quit your job. Yeah, but I was unhappy. Uh-huh. And now you're so happy. So the first point was up there already. Uh, God does not want you to be happy when it causes you to do something stupid or unwise, all that. Number two, the second time God doesn't want you happy is when it's only based on the things of this world. 
Uh, one of the things that I personally enjoy to do, uh, I know some of you might judge me for this, but that's just life. Live with it. Um, I enjoy at night when I get home, which sometimes is very late. Sometimes it's 9, 10 o'clock at night when we finally get done with the day. I go home, I sit down, I open up my laptop, I have my coffee or my Diet Coke next to me, and I will turn on the TV. So I got the TV on, I got my laptop on, I can do both at the same kind of time. I enjoy sitting there and I watch a bit of TV. Um, try to be very careful about what I watch, but I do watch some. And uh, the other night I was watching TV, and in about an hour span, I found out what's really going to finally make me happy. A blanket with holes in it. Do you know what it's called? A Snuggie. <laughs> a Snuggie is going to give me ultimate happiness. In that same hour, I found the, these are all things that would make me happy. And by the way, the people who were advertising them were obviously very happy. I need a Max Trainer by Bowflex. And it will make me strong and virile and give me six-pack abs. And after all that working out, I need for sure a George Foreman grill. And then I need a clapper because after I eat all of the burgers from that George Foreman grill, I won't be able to have enough strength to get up to turn off my own lights. And to top it all off, I need Budweiser and Doritos so that I can have friends. That's what I learned in a one-hour period. They will make me happy. Here's how I believe. This, this is my thing. You might not agree with me. But this is what I did. This is the formula that this culture tells us will make us happy. You want to be happy? You need faster, newer, shinier, bigger, better. You need the perfect vacation getaway, the fun experience, the right relationship. And I think this is just the saddest thing. But here's what this culture says. If you don't make me happy anymore, then you're no longer right for me because it's all about me and my happiness. So what do I do? I trade you in for something newer and better, something younger, just like I trade in my car. That's what this culture does. So if you don't like yourself, what do you do? And again, I, I've been watching the TV commercials on purpose for this. If you don't like yourself, here's what you should do. You should tuck it, you should lift it, you should puff it, you should smooth it, you should shave it. It's true. All this week, just the commercials. And that will make you happy. If you have all these things, if you have better possession, possessions, peaceful circumstances, thrilling experiences, and the right relationship with the perfect appearance, that equals happiness. That's what this world says. You'll have it all, and you'll be happy finally. The problem is, all of those things are temporary, and they're fading away. Um, I, um, when I was dating Karen, I was 20, 21, that, that age bracket, uh, I was working two full-time jobs. One job, I would work from midnight until 8, 9 in the morning. The other job, I worked from 2 in the afternoon until midnight. So I would go from job to job. I mean, there were times, literally, in order to feel sunshine on my body, I took my parents' chaise lounge out into the yard, and I tried to sleep on the chaise lounge so I at least got some sunlight for those few hours that I slept. 
sleeping maybe four hours a day. Uh, but I was working two full-time jobs. But I was dating Karen. So on Friday night, I didn't have to do the midnight job anymore because that was my weekend. So at midnight, I would get done with my one job. I would get in my car, and I would drive an hour to Elam. And when I would get to Elam, um, my buddy, Doug, uh, Doug Abbey, who now pastors down in Sayre, Pennsylvania. Some of you were there at his place. Doug was rooming in a dorm, and I would go and stay with Doug until the next morning when I would get up, and Karen and I would go on our date for the day. But that night when I would get to Doug's room, we would buy two large pepperoni pizzas, two two liters of Pepsi, and we would each eat one of those. I would eat a large pizza, and I would drink a two liter of soda, and so would he. That night, this would be like 1 o'clock in the morning. And we would watch, by the way, how, how many of you guys ever watched those stupid like uh, karate movies that were dubbed in English? You ever see those? We watched those. So th uh, that was our thing back in the day. Either that or else we watched basketball. Um, and they were pretty close. Um, then to top it all off, as if the pizza and the soda wasn't enough, we each would make a pan of Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. But they didn't have enough frosting. You know, that, that, that little thing of frosting that you squeeze on, that's just, come on. So we would buy like this, you know, store-bought frosting, and we would pile it on there until the frosting was as thick as the cinnamon rolls. And we would eat a pan of those. I'm telling you the truth. Every Friday night when I would go up to Lima, that's what I would do. And I think when we got married, I could be wrong. Karen and I have had disagreements about this. Either, either I was 142 or I was 155. Somewhere in that range. That's how much I weighed when we got married. I could eat like that without a problem. No problem. I loved it. It made me happy. And I continued to eat like that. Somewhere along the way, something changed. I don't know how it happened. But I couldn't eat the way I used to eat and stay happy. So now I've had to eat salads. A lot of lettuce, a lot of rabbit food, as Paul Schultz likes to say. Um, I find that, um, I can still, by the way, just to be clear, some, I had somebody just say to me recently, uh, I was at a minister's meeting in Arcade, and they got dessert out, and I was just looking, and he said, oh, yeah, you don't eat dessert, right? I said, hey, keep your thoughts to yourself, bud. I can eat anything I want, thank you very much. Um, we do. We eat pizza once in a while, and, you know, we might even have cinnamon rolls. But um, not a whole lot anymore because it no longer makes us happy because it affects our body differently. In other words, things change. Everything changes for us. It doesn't stay the same. What you used to indulge in that you thought made you so happy, you can't anymore. Well, all the stuff in this world that promises you so much happiness, that stuff's going to wear out. It's going to rust out. It, it's just not going to last forever. My father-in-law, uh, he used to really like cars. He loved cars. Um, he would get a new car, and I don't mean brand new or anything like that, but he would get 
for him a new car. He liked to drive nice-looking cars. And back in the day, he loved the GMs, especially the Oldsmobiles, those big boats that used to float on the road, you know, the cruisers. He loved those. And one day he brought home a car. That was his style, by the way, at the time. He didn't ask his wife. They didn't talk about things like Kay or I. He would just bring home a car and say, here's our new car. He brought home a, uh, the best I can describe it would be a yellow canary Oldsmobile Delta 88. Remember those cars? Yeah. It was, it was brilliant yellow. And his wife looked at it and said, I don't like the car. And he, being the godly man that he is, said, why? What's your reason? And she said, I don't like the color. He said, and again, I don't know what his exact words are. I know what I would have thought. He said, that's stupid. What does the color matter? She said, I don't like the color. They kept the car. He parked it in the courtyard of the main building at Elam, back when the courtyard used to be open. Parked, you know, had cars there. It was like a, eight, uh, like a little C-shaped thing, and he parked in there. Guys were up on the roof working with roof cement, aluminum roof cement. And by accident, one of the guys knocked off a five-gallon bucket of aluminum roof cement on top of his new canary yellow old Delta 88. It was no longer yellow. <laughs> it was now this pretty silver color, and she liked the car then. <laughs> Here's my point. You buy that new car that's going to bring you so much happiness. You buy that new truck. You buy that new snowmobile. You buy whatever you want. It's not going to bring you lasting happiness. It fades quickly. It wears out. The world says if you get this, if you buy this, if you have this, if you trade this in, you're going to be happy. But you know, it's just not true. Because those things don't bring you lasting happiness. 1 John 2.15 says this. If you would listen to this, I put it up here for you. Do not love the world or, hear this, do not love the world or the things of the world. Okay, let me just let you think about that for a minute. Don't love the things of this world system. You know those things that you just have to have because they will finally make you happy? John says don't love those things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, got to have it because it's going to meet my needs, the lust of the eyes, I saw it, it was pretty, it was shiny, I got to have it. The pride of life, it's going to make me feel important. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever. God does not want you, above all else, to be happy if it means you're going to buy into the world system because that will not prove to be true happiness for you. God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on the things of this world. Above all else, God's call is not your happiness. In fact, I would suggest to you that happiness is based upon happenings, and happenings come and go. God does want you to be blessed, 
God wants you to be blessed because when you're blessed, you find that your center of life is in him. My father-in-law said, uh, he'd done some study, and he said that word blessed, the word is, I believe, makarios in the Greek, for those of you that care. Um, that word blessed doesn't occur outside of Scripture. And it means supremely happy, but I loved how my father-in-law translated it. He said, whenever Jesus said, blessed are you, what he's really saying is, you lucky person, you. The heart of it is your happiness is only going to come when you have the blessing of God upon your life. That's the only time you're really going to know true happiness. You want some promises from God that you can hang on to. Here's one that you should take to the bank. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise from God. In this world, you will have trouble. But then Jesus went on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, the world doesn't have the final say over your life. Let me say it again. The world does not have the final say over your life. God does. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean hard things won't happen to you. doesn't mean your car still won't break down. Right now, my car is making this weird squeaking noise, and we can't figure out what it is. Drives me nuts. We're getting ready uh, in, uh, well, not right away, but in a couple months to go on vacation, and we're already talking about, okay, maybe I should rent a car and let the mechanic drive my car for a month or so until they figure out what the squeaking is to fix it. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean weird, hard things won't happen. What doesn't mean your car won't break down. It doesn't mean your washer won't leak. doesn't mean your dog won't die. Hard things happen to Christians too. But here's what he promises. And this is what makes you happy in life. This is the end of it. What makes you really happy in life is he promises, even when the hard stuff happens, he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the final verdict. Not what the world says, what God says. God's promise is that the good work he's begun in you, he will complete it. Um, let me ask a question this way. If Karen and I go to Myrtle Beach, and we go out into the ocean, and while we're out in the ocean, we see this fish that's there. I don't know what, what, what fish are in the ocean. Not a shark. Um, Huh? No, I don't want a jellyfish. A tuna? A tuna. I'll go with a tuna. Okay? And we're, we're, we're out in the water, and there's this tuna fish. That sounds weird. There's a tuna. And it's, 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 it's a good-sized tuna. It's probably, you know, 20 inches, 24 inches long. And I pick that tuna up, and I gently carry it, and I lay it down on the sand of the beach. Will that fish be happy? How about if I take $100,000 and I put it right at its head? Would that make it happy? What if I put it in my lounge chair and put a Coke next to it and a good book right next to it? Will that make it happy? Why not? Because it's not made for that. It's made for the ocean. In the same way, you're not made for the things of this world. You are made for the things of eternity. 
Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You were not created to be happy with temporary things. They, I'm not saying you can't find joy in that kind of stuff. I'm not saying when you get a new car, it doesn't bring you some level of happiness, but it will not be lasting happiness. Don't find your identity. Don't find your true lasting joy in that stuff. Find it in him. He's planted eternity in your heart. You were created to serve God and to glorify him. And that's the only way you will know true happiness. So when you hear somebody quote that the Bible says, God wants you to be happy, I want you to remember that's not true. It's not biblical. I'm not saying God wants you to live your life unhappy. That's not what this is about. I think God takes joy in your joy. But it's not all about your happiness. It's about his glory. And what brings him glory will bring us the most lasting joy and happiness in life. He's not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. Would you stand? So that's the first. Next week, I think one of the more popular ones out there, I will enjoy it even if you won't. Remember, what you're going through today isn't the end of the story. It is his heart for you that really matters. That's what this is about. What does God want for you? And if God is withholding something from you, can you trust that God knows best? If the job isn't all you want it to be, is it possible that God wants you to treat that job like a mission field rather than just quit because all that matters is your happiness? My father, uh, as is the case for many fathers in this room and many of your fathers, my father worked a job for 40 years that he didn't love. He didn't love working at Gleason's Works in Rochester. I can remember him telling me that they put these huge fans in the ceiling to try to suck the hot air out, but all it did was make it blow instead of suck. They couldn't get it to circulate the right way, and it would blow the hot air back down on the guys, and guys would faint on the floor. He didn't love the job, but he did the job faithfully for all those years because he had a wife and kids to take care of. He knew it wasn't all about his happiness. It's not about my passion. You know, we hear people talk today like, well, find what you're passionate about. Do that. Well, how about you just do what's at your hand for right now, passionately unto the Lord? And maybe you'll find in time God might actually bring along something that would bring you some joy. But do that with all of your heart first. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this, uh, and I knew coming into this, this was a series that could frustrate and bother some people could upset some people because they even believe this stuff. Lord, it's not my heart to upset them, but it is my heart to challenge them. As their pastor, I don't want to make them feel guilty because they're one of the ones here who got divorced. But as their pastor, because I care about them, I want to also tell the truth. So Father, I'm praying that you would cause us to live our lives based upon your word, 
not the misquotes of your word or wrong theologies that people have developed out of it, that we would be people who believe that the word of God stands forever. The scripture says heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not one word of God will ever fall to the ground. Lord, let us live based upon your word and what it challenges us to be as people, that we would live our lives accordingly. And Lord, we know that it's not that you don't care about our happiness. That's not it at all. But you know what's going to bring us real happiness and real joy. Help us to keep that in mind, that you know best, and to live accordingly. Lord, let us become mature believers who walk out our lives with our eyes on you, with a heart to serve you above all, and that you get all glory. Let that be our theology of happiness. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.